You're listening to Pop Curia, the podcast where locals tell their story, their town through their words. This week, we're exploring some of Minneapolis's most diverse neighborhoods. This is our second stop for this podcast's first season. We're road tripping across the United States, asking locals what makes their town special, what's important to their community, what makes them, well, them. I'm your host, Rosie Julen, and this is Pop Carrier. Ready? Here we go. Minneapolis, an all-American city, home to over 400,000 people. Together with its sister city, St. Paul, and the surrounding suburbs, the Twin Cities region is home to well over 3 million people. It's huge and sprawling. The city centers itself around the downtown skyscrapers and then spreads over numerous neighborhoods, largely defined by single-family homes. This city feels suburban to me. There's so much space in between. Everything feels wide. Wide boulevards with room for bike lanes, locals' preferred way of getting around. So many green spaces and parks. Homes in this city have yards with well-tended gardens. And once you get out of downtown, in most parts of the city, there's nothing overhead. Even the huge mansions along the lakes sit back, away from the road and give you plenty of space to enjoy the lake shore. This all-American city had an all-American start. Founded on land sacred to the Native American tribe, the Dakota people, where the Minnesota River joins the start of the Mississippi. The city is characterized by a great convergence of people at this convergence of rivers. The Twin Cities region has served as a gateway for numerous new arrivals. It's where they get their start. And the reasons have not changed. A good job, a good life, a fair shot at the American dream. First, largely settled by Scandinavians and Germans, the two cities' demographics are changing. After the Scandinavians, the cities welcomed the Polish, the Irish, and other Europeans. Then they were the gateway city for the Hmong fleeing the Vietnam War. Now the city is home 
to the largest Somali-American population outside of Somalia. Every new wave of people have left their mark. You see the presence of different people by the different types of religious services. The clips you just heard were in Norwegian, Polish, Spanish, then Arabic. The food is fabulous, a real cornucopia of choices. As one local put it, they have the options they didn't know they needed, but now they can't live without. On the surface, it does seem like Minneapolis is the kind of place that will let you be whatever you want to be. Walk around town, and in the varied neighborhoods, you'll see hipsters frequenting one of the city's numerous record stores, a whole neighborhood dedicated to Native American arts, culture, and tradition. And it just so happened, based on where I was staying, that at my local grocery store, I was the odd one out, because I wasn't wearing a hijab. And then there are the parks. At first, when walking around on a Saturday afternoon, the city felt sparse. Where were the people? The amount of people on the streets were not what you would expect for a metropolis home to a few million people. Then I went to a park. The parks! The parks are full of people, socializing and doing all sorts of outdoorsy activities. Walking, biking, playing basketball, hammocking, which I didn't know was a verb until I went to Minneapolis. Did you grow up here? What was your closest park? That's what locals will ask. That's your stake in the city. People like living here. It's a big, small town. Many describe it as a hidden gem. It's generally characterized as affordable. You can get a good job, buy a home, and still enjoy a comfortable lifestyle. It's the great city of the North. Um, don't let anyone else know Minneapolis is really great, so they <laughs> stay away. That's the main takeaway from this message. Because <laughs> the more people that move here, the harder it is for everyone else to live. <laughs> In theory. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> She's kidding, of course. That's Teresa Sweeney. She's lived in South Minneapolis for the last six years. She's a transplant from Iowa by way of Los Angeles. Teresa works for the Business Association for Lake Street, the main commercial boulevard in South Minneapolis. South Minneapolis is roughly defined by downtown to the north, the chain of lakes to the left, and the Mississippi River to the right. Lake Street cuts across east to west, the old steel and lumber mansions around the lakes and the trendy apartments of hipsters uptown to the east. The little hole-in-the-wall taquerias markets home to the Nepalese, Ethiopian, Moroccan restaurants and a mall home to numerous Somali-American-owned small businesses further west. Lake Street is that cornucopia of flavors. Many different neighborhoods home to many different peoples, languages, and cultures shoot off in either direction. South Minneapolis is where many people get their start. Here's Teresa again. I think that the things that drew us to Minneapolis was job opportunities here, and there is a very low cost of living. Um, you can own a house very easily here, and you can't, in a way that a lot of major U.S. cities, it's not possible for people who are, you know, have your average job. Um, and I think there is a very unique culture here. A lot of it has to do with the Lutheran social services groups that have been a place for refugees and immigrant communities. So I think that just brings a diversity that, and it brings a concentrated diversity because Minneapolis isn't 
that big of a town or that big of a place, but then you have a lot of influence of all these different refugees historically too over time. Um, you know, back in the 70s and stuff, it was a lot of Southeast Asians, and these days it's a lot of the Somali population. So that's a really cool part of the town, the city. It's a city. <laughs> Minneapolis is not just another spot in the flyover states. It's a cosmopolitan city, and the secret is getting out. The city is becoming more diverse, attracting a more affluent, younger crowd. And I couldn't help but think, the entire time I was there, that Minneapolis might be getting it right. I'm a California gal, based in D.C. I'm used to seeing some pretty steep housing prices. Could Minneapolis be that city where I could afford to buy a house too? Swap out my 300-square-foot studio for that three-bedroom, two-bath, complete with white picket fence? When I think about moving to any other city, that is the most, that is like one of the number one things on my list is how much would it cost me to buy a house? Because it is, it is, to me, I never thought of myself as somebody who would like want to own a house when I was growing up. Like that wasn't part of my imagination of my life, right? But once you accept living somewhere that maybe isn't your perfect location but where you can afford a house it feels like a change in my in like my mindset of how I go about my life and it's a weird thing because I didn't ever think that that was something I would care about like I said my sister lives in San Francisco and I think you are spending so much money on rent and why are you why is that happening why like why what justification do you have for doing that it's it's interesting too because we're trying to we're thinking about selling our house and buying a new one right now too so we're very much like looking at you know how much our house is appreciated and stuff like that so and how much we can afford to buy a different one but yeah however that may be changing longtime residents are worried about Minneapolis becoming the next Denver or Portland housing costs are rising and it's a very low density city with large lot homes that hark back to the 1950s New development seems to be catering to this more affluent crowd. Like many U.S. cities, longtime locals are worried about being pushed out. The look and the feel of the city is changing, too. South Minneapolis is home to some of the most diverse neighborhoods in the city. Robert Lilligren represented one of these neighborhoods, the Phillips neighborhood, on Minneapolis's city council. He is a member of the White Cloud Ojibwe tribe and the Native American Cultural Corridor he's about to refer to is home to the densest concentration of urban Native Americans in the United States. It's interesting that the Native area here and the American Indian Cultural Corridor are in one of the older neighborhoods of Minneapolis and one that has been a gateway community since Minneapolis has been a city. But it still retains that sense of people come here and transition on their way to someplace else and then uh, some of them stay here and start to flavor the local culture, and it creates some competition for space and for identity and, uh, and for resources. And if you have people that are coming through with some sort of a federal status of refugee asylee, there are certain resources available to people carrying that status. And there are Native people who also have a special relationship with the federal government who see that and see the disparate 
um, level of resources coming into the native community. They feel they're relatively small as opposed to, say, a new arrival community that's predominantly refugees, asylees. As it plays out in the day today, it's a very interesting and dynamic sort of social space. Competing for space, competing for resources. This is not unique to Minneapolis, but became painfully obvious last year when a homeless encampment cropped up just down the street from where we're sitting, in the Phillips neighborhood on Franklin Avenue. The encampment had over 100 people, largely Native American, representing a variety of tribes, and lasted for nearly a year, and was considered to be one of the largest homeless encampments in the state. Ukasha Dakani, a Kenyan-American of Somali ethnicity, shares his experience donating coats last year at this homeless encampment. And as we go in there to donate some coats, there's a few gentlemen, and there's an elderly white guy uh, who was uh, stopping us to come in, and he was telling the community there, the, the, the Somali community are the ones who have taken your resources, the homes, and you shouldn't welcome them. And I said, that's not right. That's not a true thing that he should be telling people, but conception that's being spread, like the Somali community is ripping off the system, or the community have been on welfare. No, we are not on the welfare. We are a community that's thriving in many ways when it comes to businesses, when it comes to politics, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, like uh, living in American dreams. So we are just a hardworking creature that have been planted in the land of America and in, in here in Minnesota. So, Ukasha is the founder and executive director of Freya, a nonprofit that works to help the Somali-American community get adjusted to Minneapolis with youth empowerment programs, housing, and employment assistance. Adjust, not assimilate, is his preferred word. Here's why. I don't like to assimilate. Uh, in a culture that I don't want to assimilate. But to adjust, it's like uh, I want to adjust, you know, like expand, learn, you know, like uh, explore on that culture while I retain mine. It's like uh, uh, assimilate is a harsh word to communities like ours and to every minority communities. Like we want to live in that solid America, not a melting America. And that's what it means, you know, like America is a solid pot where everyone retains their culture, their religion, their, their difference. So, and that's what makes America great, you know, like all this cultural diversity, people from all walks of life coming to, together in a one nation makes a beautiful thing that people around the world will ever see. The Twin Cities has always been a place that has welcomed new arrivals. It's a point of pride locally. But the new arrivals over the last few decades have gotten a great deal more diverse, and it's changing how the community feels. Channing will tell us more. My name is Channing Florence, and I live in the great city of Minneapolis. What neighborhood did you grow up in, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, I grew up in a weird neighborhood. It's Powderhorn, which is named after the park it's nearby, but I actually grew up closer to a park called Phelps. We're sitting in a park in the Seward neighborhood on a sunny Friday afternoon surrounded by a kaleidoscope of people. A group of boys playing basketball or cheering each other on in both English and Arabic. The family next to us, picnicking, is speaking Spanish. Minneapolis is still pretty heavily white, but there are so many more black and brown people here now um, who have brought their own cultures and their foods and fashions and styles and languages. And so instead of it being you're black or you're white, um, it's 
it's like a real city and not every neighborhood is it's pretty segregated here it's not as it's not as crazy as it used to be um but it's still pretty bad and uh, I guess like it's nice to be around people who look like you like not everything feels dangerous and it's not that every person who doesn't look like me is a threat but there's just something about like being in a more and it's because I live in a really diverse neighborhood so there's just something about like Minneapolis, the parts I stay in, they're like, here comes everybody, versus how it used to be, which is, uh, why are you here? Yeah, um, yeah, there's a little bit of barriers, you know, like uh, driving one time and then ladies start finger pointing at me, roll down my windows and I thought she was going to say something nice, but she said, go back to where you come from. I was like, okay, I just roll up my windows and, and my energy give me to move forward. In Somali, we say all your fingers cannot be the same. Like, there's that differences. All my fingers, there's that differences. There's this small one, there's this middle small. Like, it's not the same. Like, God created them in a different way. And in these communities in Minnesota or in everywhere that we lived in, uh, there's people who are welcoming, there's people who are just hateful the way they are, there's people who are aggressive, there's people who are nice. But uh, Minnesota have been nice than any other places that have been, you know, like people are welcoming. I can't imagine, you know, like, like we are there for each other all the time. So I don't think this community like this community will be found somewhere else. Yes, there's some hate, there's some bigotry. But the love and the welcoming people overcomes all that. Minneapolis prides itself on its progressive values. It's a welcoming city, a refuge, and it has earned that right. Minnesota has among the highest percentage of refugees per capita. It has opened its arms to these new arrival groups, and everyone I talked to was nice, certainly very polite. Minneapolis and Minnesota often lead the nation by a lot of positive indicators. Uh, literacy, education, health, income. And as the broader and general population of Minneapolis is higher in all of these indicators, the, those who are lagging tend to go lower. So if that's Native Americans, African Americans. And so I got to this point where, where every time we celebrated a new statistic about how great we are doing here in this region or in this state, um, I almost heard an undercurrent or an understatement of, you know, we're keeping them down. Not only are we keeping them down, we're pushing them lower. And it's hard to reconcile an attitude like that with an expression of being a welcoming community. To me, that does not express that we are welcoming to all. And there's this famous or infamous uh, belief in Minnesota nice. Minnesota nice. And, you know, uh, I think uh, we are very, on the surface, we can be very nice. And I think that that can sometimes mask some not so nice things. You know, I've served for many years on the uh, City of Minneapolis Convention and Visitors Bureau. It's called Meet Minneapolis. 
and Meet Minneapolis was doing some research about not just attracting visitors here, but attracting workforce here. And uh, I remember as this research was presented, there were some amazing things that came forward about uh, workers who had relocated to Minneapolis. And I remember one quote, and I'm uh, remembering it as best I can, but it was something like, I've lived here three years and I've never been invited inside of anyone's home. You know, I just thought that spoke volumes, you know. So it's like, yes, you're welcome here. We need you here, especially if you're a, a work, you know, a qualified worker. Uh, but we don't, we won't invite you in, you know. Uh, you're welcome to stay in your space. Um, people here are friendly but also passive aggressive and weird so I guess it would be uh, a cautious optimism when you meet new people are you referring to Minnesota nice yeah it's it's not a thing uh, Minnesota nice is more of a um, I love you stay over there I hate you, kiss me. It's a weird thing of uh, like a desire to be around other people constantly. It's a very social city, especially in the summers. Everyone's outside all of the time until they're exhausted from doing whatever it is they're doing. And we have, it's not a large city, there's not a lot of us, but it's growing. Um, but no one really, it's kind of like an unspoken like trust that you will stay away from me until I invite you in. So it's weird. So you'll have a bunch of people who are sitting at a bar with one seat between them and no one's speaking to anyone. Yet everyone is alone and no one speaks to anybody until some random person breaks the silence. Minnesota Nice is odd. <laughs> I asked everyone I spoke to about Minnesota Nice. One bartender said, no one dances. And sure enough, at a dive bar in Cedar Riverside, a great local band was playing and no one moved. One guy was bobbing his head, back and forth. But that was it. Heard from other transplants that locals could be a bit clicky. That the gym was the great equalizer. If they had local friends, they had met them at the gym. But uh, that's just how people are. If they don't know you their whole lives here, or at least a significant part of their lives, you just can't be trusted. It's, it's really not conducive, because I have friends who have moved here from other places and say it's very hard to make friends here because it's, like Drake says, no new friends. So you're, it can be lonesome sometimes. Here's an expression I heard a few times. Minnesotans will be happy to give you directions to anywhere but their house. And this expression fits too perfectly to the image I have in my head of Minneapolis neighborhoods. Of row after row of large mid-century homes, modestly laid out, one by one, just off the street, just out of reach. Minneapolis is fascinating because of its reputation as a progressive and welcoming city. You can see it, you really can. People are proud of it and they act upon their values. They volunteer, they celebrate their diversity, they welcome their neighbors' cultural differences. But the reality doesn't always meet intent. I know, 
I'm the product of one of those progressive towns. What does it look like when this openness means your house's value goes down? Or the quality of the schools change? The place feels different. Suddenly, if we're all equal, does that mean I've lost my advantage? Am I willing to make those sacrifices for my progressive values? I don't know. Minneapolis is a city that's very uh, hopeful, but doesn't take that hope and put it into policy action. So they say, like, we want more affordable housing, we want um, more income equality, but then no one takes that action because everyone says, well, I don't want it in my neighborhood. We don't want it in ours either. So then nothing happens. And it's just a bunch of magical thinking of so I uh, maybe I'm just a pessimist in this way <laughs> I hope it changes but all of the new development just seems to be built around bringing people from our surrounding suburbs into the city at rates that they can afford and then people who already have lived in the city for decades or longer are priced away and that kind of it kills off the neighborhoods that used to be very diverse and now they're filled with retirees who want two thousand dollar condos which is fine but you don't need to force people away to get that there's a middle your neighborhood matters it's more of your home than your city will ever be it tells you where you're from and too often where you're going Minneapolis has, true to its progressive values, tried to level that out by bolstering its neighborhood voice. Minneapolis has a highly developed uh, series of neighborhood organizations. Every neighborhood in Minneapolis is organized. There's a high expectation here that people engage in the well-being of their community. The Neighborhood Revitalization Program, or NRP, was Minneapolis's attempt at leveling the playing field. Robert tells us more. The NRP built so much capacity within neighborhoods that then they had a way of coming together, organizing around their priorities, and challenging the status quo, often challenging City Hall on its decisions. And so the monies and programs that City Hall made available to neighborhoods kind of created this Frankenstein monster of activists that could then hold the government accountable. And when I was on the government side of that, I just reveled in it. You know, I loved that. People would show up at City Hall and hold us accountable and turn the heat up on us. You know, they're turning the heat up on themselves as well, you know. We all get cooked a little when you turn the heat up. And, uh, but the, the neighborhoods, especially this area, the Phillips neighborhood, is known for its advocacy work, but very politically active, very active in my neighborhood association, um, and just... There's more to living in a city or a neighborhood than just, like, I go to my sewer neighborhood association meeting every month and that's kind of it. It's getting to know the neighborhood and everyone in it and hearing their stories because I'm not really struggling. I'm doing okay. And there are a lot of people who aren't. And so growing up... Uh, not struggling, but also not like safe. Uh, 
there's so many people who like I've been able to put myself in a position where I'm fairly safe who are in my same cohort that aren't safe and that's because it's just it's just not a fair place for so many reasons so I'm passionate even though uh, I'm sad but I'm not despairing and if we were in a different part of the city, you know, southwest Minneapolis, high income, uh, high percentage of single family homes, uh, fairly homogenous population, they wouldn't be tested in that same way. You wouldn't have to sit down with a, a neighbor you might not, uh, you haven't been welcoming to, you know, in this, in this kind of systemic way. And so, so here we have to work, you know, it has to work. When I represented this area, people would ask me, well, what are the demographics of your ward? And I would always kind of joke and I'd say, oh, we're a third, a third, and a third. You know, and it was kind of a joke, but it really, uh, for me, it meant there was, there's no majority. It's a plurality of demographics. And the beauty of a plurality like that is that you need to engage across cultures to get anything done. Like you, no one group can lead. I mean, yes, the system works to favor white property owners. That's a fact. But really, to move anything politically in the ward, I needed the support across cultures. And I think that is really healthy. Here, we have to work. It has to work. We have to seek out support across all cultures. We all have something to learn from Minneapolis. Last year, Ukasha was invited to the annual prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. He met the president. He was seated right up front near the podium, and he shared his experience of everyone coming together, Democrats, Republicans, people from all backgrounds, coming together to pray. Here's his story. On that table, we had uh, a Muslim guy from myself from all the way to Minnesota, and then a Christian guy from Bulgaria, and then a Buddhist guy from all the way China, and then I had uh, another guy uh, from all the way India, somewhere there. So we were all sitting on, on a table, having a breakfast, talking about our common grounds and how can we come together on a common route. That was like, it, those were my best days in America. I would call it my best days in America. Like, it gave me a hope really big hope like this country it's about hate it's about division we are all one we are working together on that uh, despite religious backgrounds despite where we came from we are all that one community that one american part thank you for listening to this episode of pop curia while putting this episode together we asked locals for their recommendations on where to eat where to grab a drink and how to enjoy Minneapolis's greenery. If you're traveling to Minneapolis soon and want to know where to go to see Minneapolis from a local's perspective, we've got a travel list of tips for you. Check it out at popcuria.info slash Minneapolis travel tips. As always, check out our website for additional interviews and resources, and we'll see you next time.